Skolay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Hello, Recorded Historians, and welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get to hear about the life story of some of your favourite musicians, comedians, actors, authors, presenters, and this week, political journalists. It's all beautifully simple and sometimes simply beautiful. Each week, I invite a guest on to chat about the three records that marker their life story so far, and this week, we get into it with one of my absolute personal and professional heroes. Gavin Riley is, without doubt, one of the smartest humans I have ever ever met. And in his 13 years as a journalist, he has used that immense brain of his and his integrity, it's fair to say, to establish himself as one of Ireland's most respected political journalists and Twitterers to boot. This is such a fascinating chat. I knew it would be. I just knew it would be. But we actually ended up almost chatting for twice the time we'd arranged to. So many interesting things to get through his career showing his journalistic instincts from the age of seven. I do embarrass him very royally here. I know he's from me, that's a little pun. Uh, The complete turn his life and career took in college, falling in love, and a moment from his radio show this year that is one of the most powerful I have heard in recent times. Oh, and his breakdown of the theme tune to Succession is worth the download alone. My mind and your mind will be blown. So without further ado, here he is, the very smart, the very funny, the very fascinating and the very sound, Gavin Riley. Gavin Riley, welcome to Recorded History. I've just played out my intro there, which almost took up, I'd say, 80% of the allotted time of this podcast. Okay. Could you not... Well, it's been fun. Bye. Could Lovely you having not... me. Thank I mean, you. Really, uh, you could have just stuck to one thing. Uh, throughout your career, just on one thing and maybe branched out towards yeah. the end. I'm going to break the fourth wall now and, and reveal to listeners that I have not yet heard you record the introduction, so I well, don't know how many... I always name... record the intro after I've done this, so okay. it depends on how this goes, Right. how, I suppose, effusive I am. No, mm-hmm. it will be effusive, okay. I, I promise you that, but so much has gone on, especially yeah. in the last 13, what, to 15 years of your career, yeah. mm. which we'll get into. Uh, more importantly, for matters at hand, for your recorded history, was it a tough task to whittle it down to the three? It should have been had I given it more thought but actually when you got in touch with me and asked if I was okay to do it I instinctively went right three kind of formative albums. Uh, Your reply was so quick and hasty of all the guests I've had on uh, sometimes I've had to wait days Shania if you're listening Uh, but has he been waiting all his life for someone to ask him this question? I thought you'd never ask Ed god damn. So we're going to start Gavin Riley with your very first record of your recorded history, we are slap bang in the middle of the 90s and of Britpop. Gavin, what is your first choice? It is What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis. Yes. Which, having said it now out loud, just right now, <laughs> seems really, really cliched. What, that I mean, you like, chose? Why, because you're known as an Oasis? Well, um, well, not only that, but also that it's like, oh, so you're a, a young lad who grew up in the 90s. Oh, it's probably Oasis then. It's either that or Blur, right? Oh, yeah, the lowest hanging fruit kind of thing. Yes. It's, look, I listened to it repeatedly over the last couple of days since your very quick reply. It still holds up. It's still a very, very I'm, I'm glad record. you think so, because there are times where actually I'm, I'm not as sure that it holds up. And certainly uh, it's probably now not, it, with hindsight, it's probably not my favourite Oasis album. Oh. Nor is the second album my favourite album of that artist either. 
I think, uh, that we'll get to in a few minutes' time. I think there's probably another one that over time I've grown to like more than the one I named. But it's hard to just get away from how formative uh, the Oasis versus Blur era was in the mid-90s. So how old were you then, 95? I was born in uh, late 86, so in 95 I would have been eight. Wow, so. so you were quite young. Yeah, but you're still kind of sponging up a lot of it, that you're sort of taking in that like it's it's all that's on the radio, or if you're watching uh, The Beatbox on, <laughs> on Network 2 uh, with Simon Young on 2FM, that, that's what you're, you're hearing and seeing, that it's just, it's everywhere. And we used to get newspapers in our house, and particularly the Sunday World, and every week it would be, oh, what's Liam Gallagher doing now? Or, oh, so the, you were the American tour is falling apart. Of, you were kind of aware of, the, of yeah. the enormous cultural phenomenon that they were. Like I, I won't say that I fully understood what all the references to Bags of Charlie were. That was a little bit beyond the eight-year-old. Ma'am, thing. <laughs> yeah, what's this? Are you going to the shop? <laughs> Any chance? Maybe <laughs> like the Gallagher says that a bag of Charlie. Are you is going very to Quinsworth? Yeah. Are you going to Quinsworth? Are you going to Super Value and yeah. there? Would you, yeah. would you mind picking me up a bag of Charlie? Bags of Charlie. It's all the rage. But, but you were fully aware of just how how culturally dominant mm. that whole era was and the the enormity of the personalities that they were. Were you aware, even at eight, the age of eight, had you listened to Definitely Maybe from 94? We, was that even No, too... it had gone, gone over my head yeah. a little bit, but I did then come back to it afterwards. But I remember... Um, the excitement of getting Morning Glory on cassette. We weren't a, weren't a CD household. We were a very long time. So what kind of records were lying around the house? Or sorry, cassettes? Uh, well, actually, not very many because my, uh, particularly my mother's side of the family, they were very musical, but they were very much uh, performing musicians that they'd done. They were like a real Von Trapp style operation where my mother and her siblings were did a lot of um, folk group stuff and talent contests and score things. Although I do have older cousins who at the time were living in England uh, and they They were such a lifeline weren't it the English Well they definitely just like infused this whole thing of like I remember going over there for like a family holiday in 96 and it being around the time of Nebworth and again just taking in like the enormity of like they're, they're playing to how many people? Yeah, like even three, looking back now. 375,000 people. It's absolutely mind-blowing, the size of the crowd. Yeah, so it was an enormous thing and I remember around the time where like, oh, we're going to England and uh, because I knew some of the Oasis songs from, from radio, whatever, and I was a very brash eight-year-old boy and I'm like, yeah, boys, guitars, cool things, yeah. Um, asking for Morning Glory and just being, like, just blown away by the energy, the kind of the raucousness in a way, it was almost uh, like vicarious living, that if you're eight years old and you're living in a very rural part of Meath and there's these lads who only know, uh, only appear to know like four chords and a guitar, but are just having such riotous fun, making use of every last bit of... I think for an eight, it's interesting now that when I'm trying to see the Gallagher brothers through the eyes of an, of an eight-year-old, mm. but there is that kind of cartoonish... Yeah. quality to them yeah. to their japes yeah. if you will you know, like the they hair. might as well be Chippendale Rescue Rangers <laughs> yeah <laughs> like they're, they're, they're real, real pantomime larger than life characters yeah, and they just they just dominated thought... every sort of medium that they were in so it wasn't just the whatever you'd see on Top 30 Hits or the Beatbox or whatever was on radio at the time uh, on the hotline with, with the late great and much missed by, oh, by all of us Tony Fenton Tony Fenton um, that it was it was also what was in the papers it was what was in magazines they were just everywhere one of the things which is amazing about Morning Glory is that uh, even before it gets into the run of uh, Roll With It Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger tracks 2, 3 and 4 the first track not a bad album, hat trick no but the first track in the album is Hello mm. the, uh, and the way the chords just kind of, it's the opening chords of Wonderwall and then it breaks into this really aggressive... Gary Glitters on the... Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I wasn't going to go there, but seeing as you've oh, well, I just up, want to mention it. Yeah. Um, but just the, like, it's such an announcement. It's, it, it would be one of those statements opening to an album 
right lads, mm. new sheriff in town here, were it not for the fact that Definitely Maybe, released only a year earlier, opens with Rock and Roll Star. Yeah. Which must be up there with the great pantheon of album openers. That probably. famous quote from Galler, of Noel, I should say, I have to narrow it down, uh, where he said in Rolling Stone 95, whilst Definitely Maybe is about dreaming of being a pop star in a band, what's the story is actually about being a pop star mm. in a band. And I, I think that's possibly what's so attractive to an eight or a nine-year-old listening to it, that it's like, this is being a rock star. Yeah. That's amazing. And then actually, as you grow up and you develop a slightly more broadened worldview, you're like, actually, no, maybe it's the, the aspiring to be a rock star actually yeah, has I, more to it. Yeah, Supersonic, if you watch it again, one of the great music Oh, just, just extraordinary. Remember, it's it's see, it? Seeing it in a cinema and it's so good to hear with, yeah. with the speakers turned up and to be so... And the immersed. amount of footage they have yeah. of some of the more pivotal moments. And it does make you wonder had, if they had just decided after Nebworth to go, you know what, that was it, that was great. Let's never touch this again. Well, it's like the two series rule that yes. Pauly Towers and Ricky Gervais. Yeah. They just, yeah. Yeah, no, that was it. Doesn't, do. And it that didn't get do. much better. I don't know how you feel about No, it, it, it didn't actually. I, I think uh, Be Here Now, the third album, is, mm. is better than it's remembered. But it, it is, it's a victim of its own bombast, I think. And it does probably chime with the idea that, well, once you've become a rock star and then suddenly you're you're allowed to do anything, that actually maybe yeah. the hunger is what made you. I think the aforementioned star. bags of... Yeah, uh, possibly. N- nose yeah. whiskey <laughs> uh, came into play on the third album specifically. But listening back to it even again this morning, I think, I know, you know, maybe time hasn't been as kind to it as I have, but I think as a testament to the time and really for an album that brought them 22 million copies sold, yeah. it was it's the biggest selling album in the UK charts of the 90s, fifth of all time. Wow. And it was second for some time after uh, Sgt. Pepper, then of course Adele. Oh, sure. yes, thank God, would she ever leave it alone? Would she, would she ever just stop having breakups? Come on now, would you leave the lads have that? <laughs> but I think that if you just remember like what, what a cultural time that was and it, it's not a very uh, cool thing to admit from this side of the IRC but like how just extraordinary a time Cool Britannia was. It was, yeah. And for it to be such a dominant thing and for Morning Glory to have been its real zenith and for that to be the time where you sort of culturally become of age and you start to pay attention to uh, albums and music and musicians and songwriting and learning to play instruments for that to be the world that you come into not bad no yeah the like, planets aligned in your favour almost literally yeah. what a time to be alive what a time to be alive and speaking of playing instruments and music uh, in your house growing up you know we supposed to, we must refer to the viral video of your ability to play theme songs mm. from uh, TV shows being shouted at you from yes. various <laughs> corners of a studio yeah uh, your ability to play the piano, was that instilled in you from an early age or was that something you picked up yourself? Uh, no, it was instilled in me. I was sent uh, for lessons. I, I, my parents tried to send me for lessons effectively as early as they could uh, and they struggled a bit before they eventually found somebody who would take me in as a pupil uh, in when I was in infants, either junior or senior infants, mm. I can't remember exactly which, but that when I was four or five, they found somebody locally who would agree to take on a somewhat precocious four or five year old, and you, t- for you obviously took to it quite. Yeah, yeah. Adeptly. Now, um, the weird thing is, now I don't want to say this as if I'm sort of bitter, but because it was never my idea to go for piano lessons, I was never madly in love with it. Right. It was one of those things where, yeah, I was quite good and I took to it and had a, enough discipline to be able to apply myself to really sort of take it on and to sort of really get to grips with it until I kind of developed my own sense of what was fully going on and I was diligent enough to go to the lessons and do the practice afterwards. Uh, but it was ne- because it was never my choice to do it. It was always a slightly qualified okay. thing. Whereas uh, at age nine, I convinced my mum and dad to let me start taking guitar lessons. And that was a very different beast because if this was what I'd wanted to do, 
because I want to learn the same four chords that they play over and over again. So it hit different, I mean, the guitar then, because... It did hit different. Yeah. Uh, although in time, um, I went back to piano as a kind of a first love, because, uh, which is probably then why it became the thing that... Well, it wasn't uh, your first love, Gavin, because there was a breaking story in Mallorca <laughs> when... You've done some research done, for this. Listen, you know, I'm like Nardward. Yeah, see that I guy? don't even remember saying this out loud, but I know where So there going. was a very famous incident, breaking story of a very precocious yeah. and leather-clad four-year-old who belted out a resort shutting down version <laughs> of the Craig McLaughlin yes. se- seminal, I would seminal. say, seminal yes. classic. In, in that it was the only song hey, about his that anyone remembers. Hey Mona. Yes. So it, a song you, to this point that I still, I would struggle to remember. Other than to, like, Do you want to talk about this? Or, no. <laughs> uh, or, or that just told What I want to talk about is where have I talked about it before? Because I only have a vague memory of even ever acknowledging this to anyone else. Listen, you know, we're in the world of journalism. I will not reveal my sources. Um. So, uh, when we were, I went on a couple of sun holidays again when I was aged three or four, and the standard memory of it is because a song that was in the charts that I could remember <laughs> the chorus song. I can remember the song and video very vividly. Yeah, I, I Pick remember. Pick up truck and he's got a white shirt, t-shirt under. A, yeah, under under a classic black leather jacket. He's basically dressed up like yeah. he's from Greece, um, and the chorus goes, "Hey Mona, ooh Mona," and I think I just like blurbed some lyrics. <laughs> so you, you took to the stage. Wearing a leather jacket. Yes, and you, like aged three. Yeah, and you took S- the mic. Singing the chorus line and then just making up some of the words in between the chorus bits. But everyone was like, oh, it's a three-year-old on a stage oh, with a leather jacket. Look, Isn't that cool? Look at that strange and, boy. And they gave him a certificate <laughs> and it was adorable. And the certificates are probably still at home and my parents... But I mean, uh, you were obviously very comfortable with a mic in front of you, even at that young age. If I want to extrapolate very loosely... <laughs> Very loosely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if it was such a formative moment. Draw a line between that and your current career. <laughs> no, no I, I won't go down that couch psychology route. But there is a moment from your childhood that I do find very telling. And this is obviously maybe a bit more, better known. That it was the 94 World Cup. You're obviously a huge sports fan. Yes. And soccer. Yeah. Football, I should say. Or soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, played a big part in your life as it still does. Uh, oh, Noel Gallagher's Man City fandom wasn't yes. an off-putting... No, I, I was as, I was com- comfortable fan. enough in being a a serially successful Manchester United fan at that point that I oh, there was almost a certain level of sympathy. The innate smugness. Yeah, 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 yeah. How it's, the bull- turn- it's bulletproof, isn't it? How the turntables. Uh, but to go back, you ninety four Ireland versus Italy. That you know the game that will go down in history. Yes. And the young Gavin Riley mm-hmm. sat before the telly mm. with a with the notepad. Yes, and you were writing match notes mm. at the age of seven. Yes. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, was I even seven or was I? No, I was seven, yes. Yeah. Uh, summer of 1994. Uh, 18th of June, 1994. It was my brother's second birthday. Hi, Dave, if you're listening. Your memory is. Because uh, it was my brother's second birthday and we were watching the game in somewhat of a quiet setting in that my brother had already fallen asleep in the corner of the, the room. So we were try, oh, trying... He's fair with our fans. This, 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 lovely, this, this incredibly formative moment... Uh, particularly because if you have no memory of Italian 90, then suddenly USA 94 is the biggest thing that you've ever experienced. Oh, and Ireland beat Italy in the first game and I at least knew enough to go that, well, Italy had beaten <laughs> Ireland in the previous World Cup. So if you've beaten Italy now, well, we must be pretty bleeding good then. So you're trying not to get too excited, but of course there's the two-year-old in, in the corner and you're trying not to wake them. So I'm there um, with, with an A4 sheet of paper and a pen being like, oh, that's another throw-in. Okay. So you'd write down throw it at, at the minute yeah. and then the throw in. Yeah, and, and I, I, I genuinely don't know why, but it, it was it was as if um, I was preparing for some kind of match report or that there would be some like useful application. For Did you fashion it. some kind of headpiece or headset out of 
Uh, not in that instance. No, no. But there was a later one where I fashioned a headpiece out of like, some Kinects, I think. That's right, yeah. Uh, which was like the so the lazy, like, I mean, lazy 90s version of this the is a bit, I'm on more solid ground here trying yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. Again, make I'm wondering where I brought that up. I think, I, th- did I mention that on the Six O'Clock Show once? I think I did. Um, where I was, yeah, but taking notes of what was going on as, as if it were to go into some kind of match report subsequently. And you could armchair psychology think mm. oh well he was clearly always taking notes then for his future career as a journalist and like genuinely it, it is well into college life before I'm like hey journalism that'd be a good idea so mm. look before I embarrass you any further we're going to head down the road a little bit and get to your second choice of your recorded history and we think we were just having a little chat here before the recording we think mm. this album is celebrating it's birthday today. There's two schools of thought. Mm. Well, there's two dates. It's 26th birthday. 26th birthday. Yeah. So Gavin Ryan. That's horrifying. It's, it is. Don't, let's not dwell on that. But let's dwell on what is your second choice for your recorded history. My second choice is, and happy birthday to, OK Computer by Radiohead. Goodness gracious. What an mm. album. But OK Computer, because if Morning Glory is the sort of the soundtrack to like primary school era Gavin Riley's life, then OK Computer is the soundtrack to most of secondary school okay. Gavin Riley's life. But I go off to secondary school and I go to a all boys boarding secondary school in Mullingar. Uh, shout out to St. Finian's. And uh, I am there um, on a musical scholarship, which means that I spend a lot of time in the company of the music teacher and wow. in his office, which is also the music classroom. And I remember he, him having a big wall of CDs. And of course, this being a music secondary school music classroom, almost all of the CDs are works of classical music that are on the Leaving Cert syllabus or other notes of, of works of note. So it's like Symphony Fantastique by Berlioz and different Beethoven stuff and different choral works because he was also the choir director. So loads of stuff. And then took to the middle of it. OK Computer by Radiohead. Wow. And I'm like, oh, what's that about? What's going on there? And the teacher being like, Oh, I love it. I just I think it's just it's so mind blowing. It's so experimental, so extraordinary. It's so so groundbreaking, so so ambitious. And I go, right, oh, interesting, okay. And uh, then at some point, I think as a an end of year academic award, I think I'm given a fifteen euro record voucher uh, for having like gotten the best grade in English or maths or something. And uh, the voucher is for a music shop in Mullingar, and I go down. And I spend wow. my fifteen quid, and uh, but I go down, and, and this is a couple of years after. So, OK Computer is ninety seven, but this must be two thousand or two thousand and one. Right. That based on this implicit recommendation from my secondary school music teacher, I go, all right, OK Computer by Radiohead, okay, fine, right, okay. And I remember bringing it home and uh, putting it on lying down in my bed and putting it on the CD player and leafing through the album notes and uh, while it's playing. And I'm like, like, really, like, I'm such a nerd about this stuff that I'm almost like studying the song rather than just merely listening to it, that I've got it on. But I'm also looking at whatever's in the album sleeve or the, the CD booklet to see what's really going on, reading the lyrics and whatnot. And not alone, just kind of being blown away by how... Um, innovative it all seemed because it just wasn't sticking to format it wasn't just like four chords uh, verse bridge chorus verse bridge chorus middle eight chorus fade out that it was just so mm. just it, it sounded like nothing I'd ever ever heard and I remember specifically when it came to Let Down which is the fifth track on the album I had something which which I now recognise basically as being ASMR that I nearly had this like sort of whole of body tremble being like oh my god yeah. 
what is this? The otherworldliness. Yeah. It, it really takes you out of yourself. I, you, Sorry, just to go back, you hadn't heard of the Benz at this stage. No. This is your first introduction. Mm, this is my, my first introduction to Radiohead, which, which is which Not, is quite the thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it turned out afterwards that I, I'd written a little ditty that I'd never shared with anyone, which was basically Creep, because it had the same... What was it called? Uh, I, I don't even think it had a name, but it's just had the same chord progression thing. Mm. It was G, B minor, C, C minor. Uh, and then when I'd heard Creep afterwards, I went, oh, that's how I know that, that album sequence. That's Oh, it's because it's, it's already a song that was well known. Oh, Johnny Greenwood. Oh, yeah. bugger. Damn you, Greenwood. Damn, damn you, Greenwood. So, yeah, so it's my, your first introduction, which had, had you already gone down the, fallen down the slide of Pablo Honey and yeah. the Benz and mm. then into OK Computer, it might have seemed like me, a slightly yeah. more natural progression that you would have gone, OK, this is where they're going. I don't know, you see, because after the Benz, you know, 95... Huge album, mm. and you know it's an incredible record. Yeah, I was very excited about OK Computer when I first heard. I think I was the first time I heard any track of it was watching, waiting, and watching for the video for Paranoid Android. Okay, watched it, and I was I was not into it. I think the expectations were obviously had been set by the Benz. Mm. Yeah. I was expecting more of that. Mm. Can we do that again? Yeah, and uh, the Benz, the Benz was more, and I don't mean this in a in a necessarily positive way, but the Benz was more tuneful. Yeah, straight rock. Yeah, you know, even you wouldn't call it Brit pop as such, but mm. straight rock anthems. Mm. You know, yeah. very easily to, to digest as such. Yes, straightforward. You know, brilliant tunes, mm. brilliant album, no doubt. But with OK Computer, it was almost initially a very discombobulating feeling. Mm. Like, what, like as you say, there was nothing else had been released anything like this. Yeah. And I think if you were a fan of Radiohead at the time, but then after a few listens, the penny dropped. Mm. And my mind mm. just split off into different atoms and electrons. And yeah. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I think in hindsight, the only other Radiohead that I was even moderately familiar with, other than obviously the chord sequence to Creep, uh, because it was also a song that I wrote, Damn You Greenwood, <laughs> um, was possibly also the um, the opening bars to Street Spirit, because it was one of those things yeah. where, again, if you're in an all-boys boarding school, there's a few lads who have guitars. Get and, the guitar. And, and it's like, it is the classic David Brent thing, where yeah. everyone can play um, Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., and then the more advanced ones can play Street Spirit yeah. um, by Radiohead. But again, it was like, oh no, it's the fill of a, of a guitar, a song from a guitar band I don't know. And then OK Computer comes along and just for someone who was who had sort of interest in technology and you sort of just liked being taken in by the superficial stuff of all the, the jingly little bleepy bits yeah. at the end of some works, um, just everything about it was just, yeah. I, I, I like, I now speak for a living, but I'm, I'm kind of coming up dry when I'm trying to think of it's the words. It's a hard one illustrate. to capture, isn't it? Because I suppose, again, going back to the Benz, what would have happened before, interesting Genesis to OK Computer is that they made a very active and conscious decision to distance themselves from the very hit laden mm. you know yes. anthemic mm. everyone singing along to it at the gigs and they wanted to do something entirely in a Monty Python-esque mm. uh, style that for something completely different mm. But they don't quite get there yet. No. Because if you think about it where is, they it, go with Kid A and Amnesiac yeah, and everything afterwards it was, then, it was definitely the bridge. Yes. It was definitely the but, bridge. But what, but what a sweet spot. Oh my God. I, yeah. I think it's their best album mm. of all time. What were you like as a as a, as a teen, Gavin uh, Reddy? How would you look back? Fully now in the music nerd phase. Yeah. Fully now being like, oh, Q Magazine, that, that's my Bible now. I don't believe anything unless it's in Q. Okay. I don't care if I like an album. If Q says it's crap, yeah. never want to talk about it again. Absolute rubbish. Total garbage. Um, but somewhat, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but you're sort of still culturally constrained in that if you go to a boarding school and you're there for five days a week, as I was, and then weekends are your only sort of free time, but you're still living fairly rurally yeah. in a little village called Rathmalion, halfway between Trim and Enfield in County Meath. 
your ability to go and indulge stuff and go and write, okay, well, I'm going to maybe go and get that album that got such a good review in queue and really take it in. So you were still kind of culturally living vicariously. So the, the limited stock of albums that you might have had at the time suddenly sort of took on this massive yeah. transcendental importance, maybe more than they ought to have done. But you were stuck with them. Yeah. And you had to, yeah. you had to commit. But, but if there were albums that you loved, oh. then you were, you were a happy bunny. And does it give you a deeper appreciation of music then when you're listening to it are you listening to going oh how did he oh the, 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 you know that bridge there and the, you know that chord progression yeah. you know the technical the kind of theoretical side of music that you've learned yeah to the extent do you then have a deeper ear when it comes to listening to music uh deeper i don't know because that's i don't know whether i could compare my ear to, to anyone else's but definitely i think i do appreciate stuff passively like you know we're watching the, as we record this uh, the final season of succession is nearing its end yeah. and uh, if you know the theme of succession it's just the same four piano chords effectively looped but then as the series goes on it just kind of takes different interpretations of those same chords or uses different instruments to perform the same ones and in the final series where the plot is going all over the place it's all the same theme it's the same basic riff of four chords well, I didn't realize but it's that. just being manipulated in all these different ways and using different orchestras even just slightly changing the key is that what's happening I yeah. did not pick up it's effectively that. just the same theme so the fa- it's the four chords are like C minor do 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 A flat minor do do, do A flat major sorry do do yeah do. I didn't want to correct you there. F minor 6 do 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 G7 do 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 okay. do but it's the same motif this kind of uh, do if you call it do me do re mi it's do uh, la fa so that same motif is the same four chords in all the music of the entire scene no way and like it, having had that musical training that you are made more aware that you're like hang on that's the same thing they're basically the same chords they're just, just rolled around in a slightly different way or a slightly different sequence but that it's the same four chords in the same way that Oasis managed to, to cultivate 22 million <laughs> album sales out of the same four chords and they still the base, are the basic motif of succession is, is four chords but just repeated with different instruments or in different sequence or in different tempos Gavin Riley, thank you so much for that we can just wrap it up now yeah. I think we're not going to get be- much better than that we're on record three what is it and why is it here it's O by Damien Rice mm. and it's here because I needed to complete the trilogy of Guitar Arsehole. <laughs> the G-O. <laughs> because, yes, the G-A-O. Because, the, because the, the Gallaghers and the Greenwoods are there and then you need to be, well... Uh, a bit harsh on Greenwood. Well, so, somebody participating in this podcast has to be the arsehole who's playing the guitar in the middle of the house party and we're like, would you ever shut up playing the blower's daughter? But that arsehole li- reader, listener... That was me. I was the arsehole playing the blower's daughter. You should have a little s- subsection in your record collection mm. just with all the arseholes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It would be extensive enough. It would. It would. It would be, it would mo- be extensive mostly enough. Mostly arsehole. Yeah. This is a great choice from 2002. Mm. Um, from the outset, this has also been chosen by a global superstar Uh-oh. who will be on this very podcast in mm. a week or two. I can't reveal no. who it is. You have told me off air who it is. And you're in, they're in good company. Oh. I should say with uh, you. Thank you. He had struck out, struck out from Juniper in a very strong-willed and self-determined way to record this album and attracted some attention from some major record labels, I think, but he was he made the very financially correct decision mm. to release it himself. Yeah. And his cousin David Arnold, he of many Bond themes, mm, yeah. uh, is a cousin of Damien Rice's, took him under his wing and gave him a lot of advice. Mm. On the production, and it is with string arrangements as well. String arrangements, of course, because he's a band. Yeah, Yeah. and maybe some advice has to, you know, include maybe a little bit of opera, you know, towards Mm. the end. And 
So it is to this day again another great chance opportunity yeah. to listen to it uh, this morning. Maybe not the best time of the day to listen to. No. Um, it, it's one of those albums where you probably need to be awake after midnight with a glass of red wine. Yeah, it's it's a late night. Yeah. yeah you have to be in a certain psychological space mm. with this. Um, we talk about great hat-tricks in music. Uh, Volcano Blows Daughter into Cannonball. Oh, oh. yeah. Wow. Um, where it comes into my sort of canon, so we're now getting towards the late secondary school and into college era. So by the time you get to college era, that's when uh, I'm the smug git singing Blower's Daughter in the middle of the house party and Cappy shut up. Um, but this was, as you say, 2003. So I remember uh, buying this um, summer 2003 and uh, listening to it. And after going through the era of where you're listening to so much guitar band stuff and Radiohead and the avenue that sends you down, for somebody to do things so sophisticated with, that's exactly although the word, with the yeah. strings and whatnot, but basically just with an acoustic guitar that it's it's stuff that's self-recorded and self-produced and if you're 16 and you're doing leaving certain music and you're beginning to dabble with well can you self-record stuff and do you need like an 8-track recorder at home or, or how sophisticated could you be with the minimum amount of tech suddenly it's almost like a template it's like this guy only has a guitar yeah. and a few friends who play strings that you can probably lay on over and Lisa Hannigan and Lisa Hannigan yeah. So not not to be like oh and just he's got Lisa Hannigan like imagine having get Lisa the Hannigan. Hannigan get the Hannigan yeah. fetch, fetch her down uh, but this what you can do and um, look at when you're 16 and um, suddenly girls are beginning to be part of your life and you're sort of like just beginning to dabble with all those different emotions and the sort of sense of right you're growing up and that college is on the horizon and suddenly you're you're going to be a grown up and uh, for there to be such a panoply of emotions I think. Um, yeah chronologued in just a wonderful album and done with such tenderness where there are such bits where like there's real like roaring and shouting bits on the album. It's very raw. And yet there's other mm. bits where he's singing so softly. He's literally like, whispering. You're, you're not even yeah. sure if the microphone is picking up all the, yeah. the lyrics. So you're in college now. You'd chosen uh, as your subjects, was it Commerce? No, sorry. Commerce, Commerce and German. And German yeah. yeah. And the path you were maybe potentially going to, were going to take was to be a stockbroker with yeah, mathematical... Yeah, or just, just something very numerous and yeah. something very analytical and uh, I used to always get a bit of a kick in summer holidays or when I was off and I'd, if I was knocking around the house I would like just for idleness sake because the rest of TV during the daytime was was lean going so you'd throw on CNBC or Bloomberg Yeah, I just watch the tickers going by and go hey I think I'm beginning to understand the lexicon here I could, I could do this this is you you take loads of money and you invest it in something else and you make a small bit more money and then you get to keep that. So Amazing. Con- yeah, this is yeah, fairly straightforward. Yeah. And um, deciding that UCD was the place I wanted to go um, because of the business school that was there at the time. Uh, it had the very cheap gimmick that if you were a student in the business school, you were required to get a laptop. And this being 2004, that was not yet like par for the course for everyone okay, going yeah. to third level. So you were required to get a laptop. You're like, hey, look at me, Mr. Businessman, 17 years old with Coming a guitar. Pinstripes, coming and, through. And a laptop. A guitar in one hand and a laptop yes, in and, the other. and my Dell. How my very 2004, deal. yeah. Very. Um, but actually, while, then while I was in college, um, in order to sort of keep the, maybe I could write for Q Magazine dream on the back burner, uh, got involved in the University Observer, the college newspaper there, originally um, agreeing to review albums. Uh, because realising that, well, not alone could you basically, you could role play as somebody who works for Q Magazine, but also if you go to the meetings and volunteer yeah. to review the albums, they let you keep the albums. Yes, I know. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. So doing that and um, getting more involved in the papers, going from CD reviews to music interviews, I remember very excitedly interviewing Paul Noonan uh, oh. at, at a time when 
Flock by Bell X One was coming into my life, and I was Big like, moment "Oh my for god, you. this yeah. is the coolest thing He's ever!" Such a lovely man as well. Uh, really, absolute gentleman, and being very nice to me on the phone, despite me being a very precocious eighteen or nineteen year old doing the interview, um, and then making my way closer and closer to the front of the paper, where you move from doing the the music and arts and culture stuff towards doing news features and then writing news and then ultimately becoming the deputy editor of that newspaper, which was part of my journey into journalism. Outright. So you got in the bug then? Yes, yeah. Getting into Are we that. always interested in politics? We are always uh, took a, a curious interest to it. Yeah, my mother always worked in local authorities, so she was. Uh, we were always kind of politics adjacent. We weren't a very political household, but we sort of knew what was going on in the news and um, my mother, having worked with alongside councillors uh, working for local authorities, was always keeping an eye on what was going on and who was likely to become a TD in there on. So they were always around, but I was never really into the national picture until that where it started was like watching the sabbatical elections in 2006 in UCD. In fact, actually, the first time that I was introduced to my wife, I was uh, sitting on the ground outside the, the Astro Hall in the Student Centre in UCD preparing the spreadsheet. And a mutual friend came over and said, oh, I don't know whether you've met Gavin. This is Kira. Kira's Gavin. And Tell um, us about that moment because, you know, obviously falling into the world of journalism with Belfield FM or is it yes, know, yeah, college radio? Yes, yeah, time, yeah, as well. And then The Observer. Mm-hmm. Your life was taking mm. a very distinct turn. Yeah, and then, then you end up going on, on mandatory Erasmus because yeah. of the degree being commerce and journalism. Then you met Kira, so you... So when I met Kira the summer that I was about to go on Erasmus. And, and did then, you know quite soon after that Yeah, this was... Yeah, I think so. Uh, and it made the outset of Erasmus very tricky because that summer, summer 2006, was when well, I can't speak for her, but the summer of 2006 is when I really started falling for her. Yeah. And suddenly then, you're like, September 2006, you're like, right, well, I'm off. I'm I'm gone till next July, so bye, I guess. And you went? And I went, mm. uh, because it was mandatory. Under oh, the you degree. had to go, yeah. Uh, like, it wasn't like an optional thing that I could just flake out of because there was someone at home that I liked. I, I've, I've, I've sensed that Damien Rice's O got played a lot. Oh, As so you looked much. out the window, uh, actually, as the rain streamed. I remember uh, buying a guitar, like an Ed, Ed Sheeran three-quarter size guitar <laughs> in Passau and playing... Uh, playing the, the last few bars of Cannonball. It's so hard Eskimo, to grow when yeah. you know that you just don't know. Kira, <laughs> uh, just to go on ahead. So you left college. You mm-hmm. had decided journalism was the thing for you. Mm-hmm. Your parents were okay with that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was. So I took a year out to work full-time. At the end of my degree, I ended up working full-time for a year mm. on the University Observer. Was enrolled to go and do the Master's in Journalism in DCU. And before I was able to actually take it up and go and do it, uh, was approached by the people who were setting up the journal.ie because they knew, hey, you're an aspiring journalist and you also use Twitter. Uh, We are looking for young people who use Twitter, who are good at internet things to be journalists, please. Because they were looking for people who hadn't been brought up in the ways of a print newsroom. Exactly. That was what the journal was, why it was such a breath of fresh air, I think. Yeah. In a very established landscape, media-wise. Because there there wasn't much attention paid to online breaking news throughout the day. The newspapers had their websites, but by and large, their websites were merely just publishing what was in that. It must have been a very exciting time. Print edition. I mean, you're surrounded by some of the greatest and most exciting young journalistic Mm, and comedic talent around. And and the the, the speed at which it grew was extraordinary. I I remember... Uh, going to work there in summer of 2010, we took the uh, we went public in October 2010. I think on the second day that we were public, I accidentally crashed the website because <laughs> I wrote a story about how the then science minister Connor Lenahan was launching a book on behalf of a constituent, and the book was about how evolution was nonsense. 
and uh, oh, Dara O'Brien. I remember Dara, Dara O'Brien, who uh, followed me on Twitter because we had come through the doors of the same University Observer. He and Pat Lee of the Irish Times co-founded the paper together. Did they? So Dara always kept an eye on who was coming through the ranks right. and had followed me on Twitter. And I had shared the, the story and uh, Dara O'Brien did what we would now recognise as classic clickbait, where he tweeted the story with a link and just went, well done, science minister. No, just well done. Just seriously. I can hear him saying Seriously, it. well uh, done. Uh, well done. Uh, well done. Very uh, good. And uh, posted it with such a cryptic thing that he crashed the website with the traffic on the second day. And I thought, well, this is kind of going okay. But it was like, what if you were going to start a breaking news website, what a time to do it. Because we started in October of 2010, November of 2010, the Troika arrive and everything yeah. goes belly up. Things were happening. Uh, December 2010 mm. is like a budget in which the universal social charge gets introduced and everyone is having everything taken off them. Uh, January 2011, the Greens pull out of government. February 2011, there's a general election and Finnegan and Labour get in. And then Just sorry, your ability have... of recall there. It was a very formative time. Rattling out the yeah. dates and the events. Well, I mean, it is also literally my job. I like, know that. that. Kind of modern yeah, of course history. it is. And it obviously helps. Yeah. Uh, has that I don't know how to say this, uh, the physiological side of things, but the brain that you have, the way it's wired, has, that has shaped your approach to journalism, do you think? Uh, I think I like to be quite data-driven. Uh, one thing which I don't find naturally very easy is the uh, the gossipy side of things where you hear something and you're going to go and follow it up and you sort of go for a, a stalk around the grounds and see who you can find and see if you can put some more meat on the bones of the gossip. It, not something that comes naturally very easily to me, but the observational bits of watching stuff as it's published, being able to empirically compare one set of figures to another set of yeah. figures and to see the truth of what's going on or what's improving. To extrapolate from yeah. solid, readable... Yeah. Some, something that I find a little bit easier. And it, I think it's also why I enjoy the electoral side of things so much as well because there's no way of spinning your way out of an election. The elections are all about just raw numbers. So if you're into politics and you're numerous, like... You must look it's, at the, it's, it's the US Bowl. coverage of the election and the famous screen. Oh, the magic wall. The magic yeah. wall. If only we had uh, the sort of like real real time information where I could stand It'd be there and a go. Samsung phone, yes. and you're just kind of running your. <laughs> so Colette is walking over to me and going, "Gavin, what's going on there?" And I go, "Well, we've tallied the boxes in Rathmullan, yeah. and I can tell you now that this candidate is doing very well." So look, you know, your career as a it's thirteen years now. You're yeah full time journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in the journal until 2013. And then today came to work in this building in Today FM mm-hmm. for four years, four very happy years. And you're a political correspondent. Yes, for. Today for Today FM. FM and occasional stand-in for Matt Cooper hosting The Last Word. Uh, then moved on to uh, what was then TV3, yep. uh, which after a year became Virgin Media 1 and uh, occasional stand-in host on The Snight Show there. But also after a little bit, uh, because I've been doing a bit of filling in on News Talk, was asked to come back and start hosting the Sunday morning programme on the record there. It is my favourite radio show. Barring your own. And, and barring my own, of course. <laughs> second only to Today FM Rocks with Ed Smith. But... I think what you've done there, you've struck the balance between the methodical, analytical side of your approach to journalism. Mm. You know, it's easy for someone that may be of your persuasion to hear and see all these facts and figures mm. and make sense of them. But for the, the normal-brained Joes and, mm. and Joannes and myself to listen, you do make it so easily to understand. In a three or four-minute segment, you could break a story down for me that I'll go, right, okay. Okay. Well, that's, well, that's nice to hear. Yeah. And thank you for saying so. Uh, I think one thing... Is that a conscious thing I, I was going to... Um, 
Well, I always try and make it accessible. I never wanted to get too knees deep into jar- into jargon. And if I'm left to my own devices, mm. it's very possible for me to find myself <laughs> knees deep in, in impenetrable jargon. Uh, I've got a radio review at home of, of someone who reviewed the program one time and uh, they described me as having wonkish confidence. Oh, what a beautiful <laughs> I thought, well, way I can to live, put I can it. live with that, but I'll as long it. as it doesn't venture too much into the wonk. But I think... Sometimes, um, both among the public and among broadcasters, people perceive impartiality, which you're required to have and which is a good thing to have, as meaning not having a personality. That I still think you can be personable, but down the middle. Yeah, and I want to bring you to April 2nd of this year, when on the record, you had that beautiful moment... For oh, I did. Yes, yeah. Yeah, world. I, I think about it for a second. World Autism Awareness Day. Yeah, I wonder if you don't mind me bringing you back. No, there. not at all. Uh, it's an astonishing. It's about nine minutes. I think the segment. Yeah, I've watched it a few times yeah. now. For anyone, I who did listened. not intend for it to be. Yeah. I, I thought in the running order, I'll block off two or three minutes. Had you written? So I, listen, we just did a bit of background for people yeah. who are listening today. Uh, April second every year is World Autism Awareness Day. So oh. the the entirety of April is World Autism month or World Autism Awareness Month and some people don't like it to be referred to as an an awareness month they would like it to be a celebration month or merely as Autism Month or Autism Day Uh, but classically the 2nd of April is known as World Autism Awareness Day and there is autism in my household my eldest daughter Darren is autistic there's there's always a danger that you know you have their I talked about trying to be impartial but being personable as well that professionally you want to be as impartial as possible and you want to be as down the middle and you want to be a slightly slightly um, detached observer of things. But then, of course, when stuff is in your own household and when you've got an autistic child, you, you want all of the best services for that child and you want to be able to shake the cages and rattle the trees and really want to make absolutely everything as, as well as possible as you can for your child. But I'm also mindful that in my line of work that you can't allow yourself to be almost stereotyped as a single issue journalist that I I have to be able to go on TV and talk about what's going on in this election or what's going on in the Dáil or what's coming up in the budget or what's going on Mm. in Brussels and I need to be able to do that without the viewer thinking there's your man who's always banging on about his kid so you have to be somewhat restrained or park your personal passions Well you have very effectively and successfully you know you're very active on Twitter Mm. you know I know you allude to your Man United fandom and, you know, you're very funny and wry about gossipy events and all that. Yeah. <clears throat> so that you do give something of yourself yeah. outside of the, mm. the political realm. Um, I suppose, for anyone who hasn't heard it, I'm just going to play a little excerpt okay. of it now. Um, really, what I want you to be aware of is that autistic children may not be all that different to anyone else. That they come in their own shapes and sizes. They have their own likes and dislikes and preferences just as anyone does. Um, they are merely just different, as the Mary would say, they are developing in their own time and space. And so on this World Autism Awareness Day, you should be aware that it's not just the autism that you should be aware of. It's also the many barriers that are put in place of the people that we're trying to celebrate today. It really is quite a powerful show-stopping moment for me. And I wanted to ask you, was this something you discussed with Kira that you were going to do? Yeah, we'd, we'd talked about it the night before um, about... Because again, we're, we're we're we often have the discussion at home is you know can I use my platform such as it is to to try and do more and the competing interests of wanting to be a parent but also needing to be a slightly detached impartial taking national picture journalist, but we thought well if tomorrow is the awareness day 
what better time to be able to meld those two interests yeah. and to do and part of the, the pointed approach that we took is that well here are the things that you should be aware of That's so, that, exactly so that it what, wasn't yeah. me being like so here's our parenting journey and you know, it's in the whole thing that but you were very I'm, adamant to set yourself that I'm, I'm trying not to describe in the center of this. That this is, story. you know, I, I'm walking this road, but I'm not saying that this is the journey that everyone will go along. You should be aware of then that repeated phrase throughout. Yeah, so you should be aware of the fact that early intervention is the most important way to be able to help your child to navigate the world as it currently is. But you should be aware that the public system is set up that you could be ages waiting for your child to be diagnosed with autism, let alone get the therapy. But the fact you repeated that phrase throughout, I think, I don't know what this is a conscious um, uh, decision on your part, but it picked up as the speech, is it's a speech essentially. Mm. As you move through the speech, it picks up a real, there's a momentum to that very phrase you should be aware of, that it yeah. picks up a kind of, a kind of a lightning rod for your frustration and anger. Mm. And you're not, I suppose, being dictatorial you're very conscious of like, you're not preaching here, but I thought for those eight, nine minutes, it was so captivating and you got your message across in, in a very, in the most perfectly, I think radio was the only real medium. Oh, totally. Yeah. And uh, that really could have captured the power of what you were trying to say and kind of, I suppose, focus it into those mm. who needed to hear it. That yeah. this is coming from a place of mm. very personal frustration and anger, but you were turning that into... yeah. You're trying to turn it into something something journalistic. For people that are just starting out on this journey. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I remember that... People are starting out that you should be aware of. And the final note being that really what you should be aware of is that it's not really the disability itself that you need to be aware of or the diagnosis Mm. or the neurodiversity of a child that you need to be aware of. It's actually how only when you are aware of it or only when your eyes are open to it, you realise how society is set up really only catered to cater to the strengths of those who are, as we'd call them, neurotypical, yeah. but those who are able to conform to mainstream setups and that there are a, a plentiful and growing number of people who uh, do not read in the same way, who do not move in the same way, who do not think in the same way, whose brains just aren't configured in the same way as many of the rest of us and that they have been inadvertently just kind of squeezed out of society because society has been designed in a way that they can't engage with. Uh, just before we finish, musically your house now, you know, with the two, with Duran and Blonnet, mm-hmm. is it Hey Dougie? Is it Coco Melon? Are you uh, dominated by their own musical choice? There's a lot of Coco Melon. There's, there's a bit of Hey Dougie. Do, 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 He's do, coming do. to town. He's coming to town in June. Oh. Hey Dougie, I haven't been this excited <laughs> about a live gig since I went to the REM in the Olympia. <laughs> I saw the ad for it yeah. and I yelped. For Coco and I went, oh, I, <laughs> oh for Dougie. Yeah, for okay. Dougie. This and I got I've sorted. So you're going to go and you're oh, going to be looking it down at your two, two year old afterwards and go, well, oh, that was fun, wasn't it, Dougie? He's not going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so front and center. Yeah. I'll be carried out of the place. Dougie has come yeah. to uh, play the stick song. <laughs> it's so brilliant. Uh, uh, there, so yes, good. there's a lot of Coco Melon. Uh, there's a lot of Hey Dougie. There's an awful lot of Peppa Pig. Gavin, I, you know, I'm not one to shirk the tough questions myself. I may not be a political journalist, but doesn't mean Uh-oh. I can't put you to the sword. Uh-oh. What of the three albums that you've mentioned today to remind people? What's the story? Morning Glory, OK Computer and O oh by Mr. Damien Rice. You can only choose one. I what think I think OK Computer oh, because choice. I think just the way in which listening back to it now brings you immediately back to, to the bedroom where you're lying down listening to it for the first time at age 13 or 14. Is that is that age again? It, it really is. It but is. but I, I think every time I've listened to it since, I've been chasing... 
that feeling I know. of of the first time. It's it makes like, me sad. It, mu- it must be like the, the, the first time that anyone takes, you know, a, a non-prescription narcotic. In the train and, spotting sense. And every time afterwards yeah, they're chasing speech. the same high of the first time. I know. That uh, every time I hear it, and every, particularly every time I put on uh, Let Down, and so, sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't hit as much as yeah. others, yeah. but I'm, I'm always just chasing that sort of whole of body tremble of like, oh my God. It's incredible. This is just so good. Gavin Riley, thank you so much for coming in and thank you for sharing your recorded history. Pleasure, Ed. Thanks for having me. There he is, Mr. Gavin Riley, a scholar and an absolute gent. And I'd recommend you find that nine-minute segment that we discussed there from his On The Record show from April 2nd. It's up there on the News Talk website, I'm sure. It really is an incredible few moments of radio. Now, we were so busy chattering, and we'd got to get through so much. I didn't even get a chance to mention his own podcast, The Group Chat with Richard Chambers and Zara King. It is excellent, so do check that out as well for sure. Now, if you haven't heard or want to go back and revisit one of the records that Gavin has mentioned, if you haven't heard OK Computer, what is going on in your life? Get to it ASAP, or if there's just a record that you want to buy yourself, then we'd absolutely love if you supported our partners at therecordhub.com. We simply could not make this podcast without their supreme support. Now, I do hope you enjoyed my little snuffling around the record crate of Gavin Riley, and that you'll join me next week and every Sunday after that. Next week, we get into it with all things being equal. I know it's supposed to be this week, but a few technical glitches got in the way. Next week, I'll be getting very deep and very meaningful with the great Brezzy. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. Now, all you have to do is hit the old subscribe button there now and become a weekly listener. And above all that, subscribe to yourself. You are wonderful. Talk to you all next Sunday. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D. Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store.